My name is Jeremy Loki. I am the youth pastor here at Grace Church, and uh, to as we move towards the end of summer, I got to have my shot in the summer of Psalms, so I'm really excited about what uh, God is going to speak through His Word. There's really almost no point in me preaching this sermon because you've practically already heard it if you listen to the worship songs and listen to the lyrics that we've been singing all morning. Uh, you'll, you'll see some very common threads all throughout this passage, uh, and it's because uh, Mitch just does a great job of making sure that our worship uh, songs line so well with uh, what Scripture says about how we're supposed to worship God, and so I'm uh, greatly appreciative for that. But as we get started, I want you to just think about, uh, we can't do a big group discussion, that's what K-groups are for, but I want you to think about your greatest accomplishment. Just for a few seconds, kind of roll, roll through the history of your life and try to pinpoint what is my greatest accomplishment. Maybe it was a degree that you earned in college. Maybe it was a sports, uh, sports thing that happened in high school or college. But think through your greatest accomplishment in life. And as you're thinking about that, I want to just kind of put in our brains to set us up for this passage that we live in a very goal-driven culture, a very goal-driven, goal-oriented society. And to a certain extent, there's really, there's some great things to be said for setting goals and to accomplishing great things. And all throughout our history as a country, we've accomplished some incredible things because people have had that mentality in their minds. Uh, if you've been paying attention right now, we have the Olympics going on and there's really no greater illustration than that as far as a, a physical accomplishment than these people who train their whole lives in order to compete on this stage in order to win a medal for their particular sport. Being in student ministry, I'm around a lot, of, uh, a lot of high schoolers, as you can imagine, and probably one of the most asked questions as kids start getting towards their junior and senior year in high school that always gets asked is, well, what are your plans for? Where are you, where are you heading? Where are you going? What, what are you going to do with this rest of your life? Because the one chapter is closing and now there's... And again, Nothing wrong with this. Great to, ha great to have goals. But what I want us to think about today as we look at Psalm uh, 103 in just a few minutes is I want us to think about maybe this idea of goals and this idea of accomplishment seeking has seeped in a little bit into our worship. It's kind of just filtered in and our culture has just filtered it in to where we don't maybe not even notice how if things are going well for me and my life is going good, I'm more likely to bring my praise and worship to God. Whereas when things are not going so well, maybe I retreat from my relationship with God. Maybe I think that there's something wrong with God. And so what we find here is David is praising God, which is not necessarily uncommon, but what I love about what we see in Psalm 103 is the fact that David is not praising God because of David's accomplishments and because David's life is fantastic. And if you look at certain points in David's life, his, his life was fantastic. He led Israel through what was considered to be, by all accounts, the golden age of Israel. 
He brought peace and prosperity, and he expanded their borders tremendously. And so if you wanted to praise God for what God had done, even through David, and David wanted to thank God for his accomplishments, he does that in other Psalms. But in Psalm 103, David's not praising God because of any accomplishment, but he's praising God because of who God is. And so I wonder if we asked a different question of one another, not even just of our juniors and seniors as they look, uh, go off to co- college, is not necessarily what are you going to do with your life, but who are you going to be? What kind of person do you want to become? How do you want to grow in your relationship with, with God? That's a question all of us could ask of one another, right? And so what we find here in Psalm 103 is David praising God just simply because of who God is. Not based on his circumstances, not based on any accomplishment that David might be able to hang his hat on, but because of who God is. And so to give you just a, a little bit of a background on the passage, there's really not much to go off of. One of, the, one of the few things that we can kind of sort of read between the lines and figure out is that most likely... This, this was a psalm that, would have, that David would have written maybe towards the latter part of his life. And that's just based on the fact that we kind of see David more humble, and he has a better view of sin. He has a much clearer view of, for, of God's forgiveness, of his everlasting love and his mercy. And you just don't see that in some of the earlier psalms in, Dave, in David's life. And I'm sure that that would be true of all of us as we progress in our relationship with Christ, that we see our sin even more and we see the forgiveness of God even greater, right? And so let's jump into verse 1 of Psalm 103 and just let Scripture speak to us today. Verse 1, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And if you're looking at a different translation, they might use the word praise instead of bless. And it's essentially the same kind of idea. It's praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. But I want to zero in, not so much on the word bless, but on the word all. Because if you were here last week, or maybe you caught it sometime during the week, in Psalm 86, David is asking God, God, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. He says, give me an undivided heart. Not, he says, I don't want to just praise you with part of my life. I don't want to just praise you when everything's going my way. I want to praise you because of who you are, all that is within me. And it's this idea of total surrender. And David's understanding of worship was based on the character of God, as well as his provision of salvation, as we'll see as we, as we look further into it. it. says that I wonder if I bring praise to God like that. Because if we're honest... There's probably a little bit of that culture that seeped into us, into our worship, where we say, well, most of our worship, especially corporate, is, is music, and music is a, huge part of my, is a huge part of my life, and I've been greatly blessed that God is, has been able to use that uh, in my life all throughout. But we kind of say, well, I kind of like this song and I don't really like that song. And maybe I wish we could do songs more like this or more like that. And we kind of get tied, tied into how we want to worship God that we forget how does God want to be worshipped. And David understood this. And he understood that worship had to, had to be about the character of God and not our circumstances 
Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 7. He rebukes the Pharisees, which, by the way, the Pharisees are the religious people. If, you were, if we were living in Jesus' times, that would make us closer to the Pharisees than it would be to the disciples because we're, you know, we're all upstanding, moral, religious people, right? And so Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, and he tells them that people honor me with their lips. And actually, he's quoting out of Isaiah, which the Pharisees would have known that because they memorized the, the whole Old Testament and were familiar with it. But Jesus says, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he calls their worship vain. He says, it's just worthless because you're saying one thing, but in your heart, you don't mean it. You mean something else. You do other things. So verse two, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So he repeats that same, that same line from the, from the first verse, but then he says, forget not all his benefits. And when I initially saw the word benefits, I immediately thought, because I was raised in old, old traditional Baptist churches, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one, you know the song. I immediately was thinking like, that's immediately where my mind goes when I think of God's benefits, right? And it just shows you how much of this self-centeredness is snuck into our worship, because I think, oh, God, you've done so many great things for me that you miss out on, God, I just want to worship you because of who you are. Even if, you've, even if God did nothing for you other than salvation, that's enough for us to spend the rest of our lives here on earth worshiping God and praising God and then spend the rest of eternity in God's presence praising God and worshiping God. That's, that's the only requirement here. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. What is he talking about here? His benefits, as we're going to see, because he's going he's gonna to kind of expound on this later, his benefits are God's love and mercy. That's the benefit of God. If he, never, if he never poured out on you a great family and great kids and a job and all of the things that we have that we look at and think, oh, these are my blessings. No, the blessings and benefits of God are him his love, his mercy. And we can praise him and worship him the rest of our lives just based on that. Now, this next section that we're going to get to, we're going to kind of look at, at verses three through five as one, as one section. But David spends some, spend some time here, and I want us to pay attention to the verbs that he uses here. A little bit of a grammar lesson for all the kids in here that are about to go back to school. The verbs are the things that God is doing. They're actions. So instead of, and David, instead of focusing on things, on nouns, which he could have, he could have thanked God for the, the palace that he lived in and the family that he had given him and all the things that David had in his life, he could have easily done that and he wouldn't have been wrong to do it. But instead, he looks at, he says, these are the things that God has done. But I want you to understand here that these are all actions based on the character of God. Because of God's character, these actions flow out of him naturally and fully. So God's actions are always a direct result of his character. And here's the other amazing part about God that's so unlike us, is that his actions always line up with his character. So if you want to know what God is up to, you want to know what God is going to be doing for the rest of your life, understand the character of God, and his actions will always flow out of that. 
Now, Mitch and I are really good friends. We spend uh, probably way more time <laughs> together than we should. But if I, made a, if I get put out a poll in this room asking, do you think Mitch is a good guy? Do you think Mitch is a good dad? Do you think Mitch is a good husband? I guarantee by and large that the answers would be resounding yes. But as Mitch knows, and as those close to him knows, that there are times when his character doesn't match his actions. Would that be accurate? And the same goes for all of us. There are times when who we are doesn't match up with what we do, what we say. And I know that's true in my life. I think it's true for every one of us. But yet when we get to God's character, we see God never acts outside of his character. His actions always line up. So let's look at verses three through five. It says, who forgives all your iniquity or all your sin? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? And there's a, a, a lot going on in this, in this passage here. And so, like I said, I just want to break this down to just looking at these verbs that David uses to describe the actions of God based on the character of God. In verse 3, he says that God forgives all your iniquity. He forgives all your sin. And, and I was, as I was looking at this, I was like, well, yeah, uh, David had forgiveness of sin and there was a sacrificial system and all of these things. And that's really not true for us in the New Testament church. And so it drew me to Titus chapter three, verses five and six. And it should be in your notes if you're using the church app there and on the screen as well. But in Titus chapter three, five and six, it says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. So our, our righteousness is not based on what we have done, can't be, because we don't have any. It's based upon what Jesus Christ has done and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. So David, even before, even before Christ, understood that God forgives all of our sin. So he keeps going in verse 3. It says that he heals. In verse 3, it says he heals all your diseases. And this is a little bit tricky for us because I don't know about you, but there's a lot going on right now when it comes to people being sick and people being healed and people not being, uh, people not being healed. And there's a lot of misinformation out, out there. And there's a lot, so much that I won't even get into it. But I don't know if David necessarily was referring just strictly to our physical diseases. Because he had just talked about how God forgives all of our, all of our sin. Most likely, it's, it's a continuation of that thought that God doesn't just forgive all of our sin. He heals us of the disease of sin. And makes us new and makes us into something that is different, that is more like him. And as for the Christian and where we are now in history, we make, he makes us like Jesus. He makes us like Christ, who was our ultimate healer. So and when I'm finding myself praying for, for physical healing for someone or for even for myself... 
I've kind of shifted, my, shifted gears a little bit to, okay, God, how do you, then if we know as humans that there's going to come a day when you have a sickness or an illness that you do not get physically healed from on this side of eternity. We all agree? Something's going to happen because scripture tells us that we're going, that all of us are going to die. So at some point, God doesn't physically heal us on earth. And so my prayers as I've been praying for those that have been uh, ill and sick and hospitalized and all these things is, God, you can heal. You have that ability. You have that power. You have that authority. God, you can heal. And God, it's my desire that you would heal this person that, I'm, that I care about, that, that you would heal this person. This is my desire. And then it shifts directly to the greatest example of prayer that we can get uh, is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And what does Jesus say? As he's, as he's facing the cross, he says, God, if there's any way that, we can, that I can avoid this, let's please, please don't make me drink from this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. So even there, he admits, God, you have the ability to do whatever you want to do. You are sovereign over all. But whatever, whatever that sovereign will is, I will accept it. And I will follow you and I will trust you in that. Verse 4 says, he redeems your life from the pit. That word pit there is, is, is exactly what you would think it is. It's destruction. It's total complete devastation. He redeems your life from the pit. And I want you to ask yourself a question right here. Kind of in the middle, in the middle of all this is Jesus redeems your life from the pit. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have you ever considered what your life would be like without Jesus? And for some of us, that could be an extremely scary thought. Because there's probably people in here that'd be like, I know exactly what my life would be without Jesus. I'd be in the ground, just as Sean saying earlier. Because of the way that we were running so far in the opposite direction that we, that we had put our life into the pit of destruction. And it was only because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ that we were saved. And this idea of what if is kind of having a moment here in, our, in, in pop culture. But that idea of like, well, what if one thing had changed in your life? What path, would you, what path would you have gone on? How would your life be different? How would things be different? How would the world be different if certain things didn't happen or if certain things happened in a different way? And fortunately, I think we don't really have the ability to know. But I think all of us, if we look back at our life and say, what would my life be without Jesus Christ, could easily see how much our lives have been transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. Because we know the difference that Christ has made in our life. So David says he redeems our life from the pit. Verse four, he says that he crowns us with love and mercy Says it, the way he says it is he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, this ongoing love and mercy. And just very quickly here, we know David was very familiar with the idea of a crown, physical crown. He had one. He was one of the few guys, I don't know if anybody in here actually has a crown. 
But David understood what that meant. He understood what it meant to be crowned. He was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel at a pretty young age and spent the rest of his life wrapping his head around what that actually meant and what God wanted him to do with this role, with this authority that, he, that God had given him. And what he realized is that that changed his identity. It changed his identity. He went from a shepherd boy to king. And it was a long path to get there if you read the life of David, but his identity was changed because he was crowned. And the same is true for us. Jesus, he didn't just change your destination from hell to heaven. He literally changed your identity, reshapes you, transforms you by the renewing of your mind, which gets us to verse five. It says that he satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies us. And this is interesting because this is the only action that David lists out in this section that comes as with a direct result. Everything else, he just kind of states, this is something that God does. In this, we get to know a little bit of why God does this says that God satisfies you so that your youth is renewed. And I don't know about you, I'm 39, <laughs> right? And there are people in here who are older than me and younger than me, but at some, at some point we reach the point in our life where we go, God, I could use a little bit of that youthful renewal, right? Maybe around this area or this area or whatever, but I could use some renewing. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he says is that God satisfies us. And this is really strange because our culture, this is totally backwards from the way that our culture might think. But he says, because we are satisfied, we are renewed. He satisfies us with good things so that our strength is renewed like our youth. And in my notes, I just put down satisfaction should not lead to complacency. It shouldn't lead to me just saying, okay, God, I am satisfied in you. So I'm just gonna sit here and be satisfied, <laughs> right? It shouldn't lead to complacency. What it should do is it should lead to greater enthusiasm to continue the work that God has prepared for us in advance. I told the story Wednesday, we went through the same passage in Refuge, and I told the story of, of my grandmother, and she was 81 when she passed away, could still drive herself to the hair salon, and could still drive herself to the church. And she was such an inspiration to us in so many ways, but she's a perfect example of what it looked like for someone to be satisfied in Christ, to be secure in her relationship with her Savior, but also be renewed with the strength to continue serving in any capacity that she possibly could. Because we went, uh, I grew up at, at Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia, and it's a big church. And it'd be easy for a, a sweet old lady, she, we moved her from Florida to Albany, it'd be really easy for her to just sit in a pew and take up space and enjoy everything that the church had and, and sit there and go, oh, that's great worship and the sermon was wonderful. And then she goes home and then she goes to her hair appointment and does the same thing the next week. It'd be easy for her to be satisfied in Christ. But what I saw in her life is that she was satisfied with good things and her strength was renewed because she found a way 
because they had bulletins, you know, because Baptists have bulletins. We got to, right? But the bulletin now always had the note sheet in it, and there's just no machine that you can buy that would reliably do that. And so a few ladies in the church would come up to the church, and they would sit at a table with the bulletin and with whatever goes inside of them, and they'd stuff bulletins. And it would take them a, a few hours or so to do that, but she found a way <laughs> to serve in any capacity because her strength was renewed. So our thinking shouldn't be, I followed Jesus for X number of years, and so I'm just going to rest and be satisfied until it's time for me to go on to heaven. No. Instead, our strength and energy should be renewed to take even greater steps of faith than we have in the past. Why? Because not only do I have this renewal of strength, but I also have the wisdom that comes with living life with Christ. I also have the knowledge of knowing more about the character of God. And all of these things should be coming together so that my strength is renewed and I have a greater enthusiasm for doing God's work. So from here, David kind of takes a, a, a different approach, but a common approach that we see throughout Psalms and even uh, all in the, in the Old Testament, that he recounts some of Israel's history, the ways that God had provided for them. Uh, and then he continues this thread of describing God's love and mercy in great, in great detail. So we're going to skip down to verse 8. He says that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad that God doesn't repay you according to your sin? We'd, be, we'd all be devastated. But look at verse 8 and 9. It says that God is slow to anger. What a characteristic of God to strive for, right? Men, Y'all feel me on this? Anger. It says that God is slow to anger. The, the idea is, is that God is just waiting and waiting and hoping and hoping. And it, it gives me this idea that you see uh, in, the, in the New Testament with the prodigal son, that he's just waiting for his son to return. Now, bear in mind, it does not say that God is never angry. If you look all throughout scripture, you won't find that. It says that God is slow to anger. And he gives us as much time as possible to repent before he has to deal with our, with our sins, before discipline has to come in and correction has to come in. He wants, to, he wants us to come back to him on our own. Like in verse 10, it says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. He's waiting for our return. He's merciful and slow to anger. So then he, David continues on in verse, verses 11 and 13. He describes this even further and how completely forgiven we are. And that's where we see things like as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is the love of God. And that he, when, we, when we come back to him, when we repent, when we make our relationship right with him again, says that our sin is cast as far as east is from west, which if you're not a geography person, east and west don't ever meet. And so this idea that God's forgiveness is per, and permanent and infinite, and then he gets to verse 14. 
And he says that God knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. What does that mean? It means that God understands our limitations. He understands that we are frail and fragile and prone to wonder. But what it also means is that God has already factored in my mistakes into his plan. When God set the plan for my life, he factored in the fact that I was going to mess up and mess up big and mess up a lot. And that's so comforting to know. Not because God, does God want us to make mistakes? Absolutely not. But according to what I read in my Bible, that God is sovereign and he knows those things. He knows our limitations. He knows that we are human and that we are prone to mistakes. And he's found a way to accomplish his plan in spite of our mistakes. In spite of the fact that we fail over and over and over again. Why? Because his love is steadfast. Because it's higher than the heavens are from the earth. And he finishes in verse 22. He says, bless the Lord. Again, just as we started, bless the Lord. All of his works in all places of his dominion Bless the Lord, O my soul. He ends the way, the way he began. He wrote this psalm as a song of praise to God for his character, for who God is, and how his actions flow directly from his character. And it stands in great contrast to our self-centered individualistic way of worship that we can so easily get trapped in. And so if you uh, remember anything about how I like to wrap things up, uh, I kind of deviated from the head, heart, and hands because I'm youth pastor and I can do that. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He gave me permission. Um, but if when I get to the end of a passage, I say, well, okay, so what? <laughs> so what, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to, what is about me that you want to change? Because obviously, if I read, anytime I read scripture, I see that what, when I read about the character of God and I put that mirror up to myself, I can see, God, I'm nowhere close to your character, that my character does not, and the things that I strive for, the things that I want to be, the, th the person that I am and the person that I want to be, God, it does not line up with the way that I'm living my life. And so God, where do you want me to change my life according to your, your word in, in scripture? And so this passage really doesn't lead us to a, an easy like step one, two, three, and then you're, then you're good to go. And we can just check it off our list. But I think it does lead us to some really tough, but really important questions that I want to leave us with as we wrap up and prepare to take communion as well. But it's, the first question that you see in your notes there is, do I bless the Lord with all that is within me? Do I, do I praise the Lord with everything that is within me? And as I was even thinking through that this morning, I think, God, the worst part of my week this week, would you remind me to praise you? God, when everything just starts 
absolutely falling apart, when my kids have gotten on my last nerve, (laughs) nothing never happens. But when everything is not going my way, when my circumstances are at the breaking point, God, remind me to praise you. Remind me to bless you so that I can do that with an undivided heart, with all that is within me. And so I, I encourage you to do the same. Take, take a minute to just kind of think through your week. And most of us kind of have a rhythm to how our weeks go. Of course, you know, curveballs get thrown in there. There's a flat tire. There's an emergency. There's this, there's that. But think through just even your regular week. If nothing, gets, if nothing extra gets thrown at you, where are the times when you can pause and say, God, I just want to praise you not because of what's going on around me right now, but just praise you because of who you are, because you are loving, because you are merciful, because you've redeemed me, because you forgave me, because you've crowned me with your steadfast love. Also, to mention, if you find yourself thinking through your week and thinking, well, gosh, I don't think I have even a minute of time that I could, that I could pause and do that, then the prayer kind of shifts to, God, what are the things that I need to quit doing? Because I, I, growing up, I was always told, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy, Right? And I tell my kids over and over and over again, whatever we say yes to something, we say no to something else. And so whenever they come to the end of the day and I ask, hey, did you get that thing done? Oh, I didn't have time. Mm. That's not, not a, I, I've tried to eliminate it out of my vocabulary. It's something that I'm trying to not even instill in, into my kids as they, as they grow up and they have, take on more and more responsibility. I said, no, you didn't make time. Because you said yes to a lot of other things that were not as important as the things that I asked you to do. And it's true probably even more so for us adults, right? Because we have control over our time. You might say, well, I've got work and I've got responsibilities. I get that. But let's be honest. If as adults, if there's something we really want to do, we'll find the time to do it. We'll make the time to do it. We'll shift things around in a budget. We'll, we'll sacrifice a few things if it means that we get what we want. Same is true with our relationship with God. So the last question there is, do I worship God based on my circumstances or do I worship God based on his character? And as easily as that rolls off my tongue, we can all sit there and go, oh, no, I definitely, I worship God based on his character and not my circumstances because, you know, my, whatever. <laughs> but let's be truly honest with ourselves. And these are, just a, one more plug, these are the kinds of questions that we can sit around knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball in a K-group and be able to discuss freely and openly because these are the things that really matter. These are the things, but these are also the things that we don't typically talk about. It's amazing to me how easy it is for me to go through an entire week with my family and we talk about homework and we talk about schedules and we talk about all of these things that, yes, on some level are important and we need to and, and all that stuff. And we neglect the important things. We neglect 
prayer. We neglect looking at God's word, what it has to say to us. And I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. But we would like to think that we worship God based on his character and not our circumstances. But in reality, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money would probably say things a bit differently. And so I really hope that you, uh, maybe, maybe you do need to find somebody and take them out to lunch and say, hey, I kinda, I'm kind of wrestling with these questions. Let's, let's talk about it. I'm an external processor. Uh, this sermon was no different. I had to, have, I had to call, call up my wife one day and say, hey, I, need, I just need you to listen. <laughs> I just need you to listen and, and help me work this out because I need somebody else to give input and I need somebody else to be a sounding board. And she's fantastic at doing that. And she told me not to say that, but I did anyway. So, oops. Um, but maybe that's what you need to do to, this week is say, hey, I need to talk through this. I need you to maybe point out some places in my life that you see some weaknesses in there, some places where I'm slipping. So we'd like to think that we worship God based on his character, not our circumstances. If we're honest with ourselves, I really, I really hope that you will be this week, that we're honest with ourselves so that we can see, God, where is it that you want me to shift? Where is it that you want me to change? Because at the end of the day, I'd love for my life to echo these words in Psalm 103, where I can say, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then I could look at the goodness of God, not just the stuff that he's given me, but look at the goodness of God and say, God, there's not a bit of it that I deserve, but you are great and you are awesome and you are powerful and you have redeemed my life and you have forgiven me and to simply worship God based on who he is. Let's pray. Father, we just confess to you that so often we don't do these things that are in your word clearly written out for us. God, that we don't praise you with all that is within us. God, we hold things back from you, God, even from each other. My God, I pray that we would wrestle with this passage, that we would seek you in prayer, that we would seek uh, encouragement and accountability from one another to see those places in our life that we are holding back, that we're not fully surrendered to you, God. Father, even now, as we prepare to take communion, God, would you reveal that sin in our life, God, not so that you can beat us over the head with it so that we can confess it because, God, your word tells us even today that you forgive, you forgive all of our sins. You are quick to forgive, you're slow to anger, God. May we humbly repent. Father, just thank you Thank you so much for your son, for accomplishing what we could not accomplish ourselves through his work on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead. God, we celebrate that. We praise you for that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.